we're done talking about stuff and we need to take action and do something and be purposefully disruptive. And this allows them to really develop and hone their own skills that they maybe otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity to do. And that's our mantra is think, fight, learn, repeat. Welcome to The Convergence, an Army Mad Science podcast. I'm Matt Sanisbert of the Combat Capabilities Development Command's Armament Center within Army Futures Command, and I'm joined by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Lieutenant Colonel Arnell David of the U.S. Army and Major Aaron Moore of the British Army. Both Lieutenant Colonel David and Major Moore are with the British Army Strategic Analysis Branch and are co-founders of the UK Fight Club. They'll be talking with us today about professional military education, gamification in the military, and how Fight Club ties it all together. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be on here. Thanks very much. So let's get started right off the bat here. Um, a while back, you had written a blog post for us about a project called Fight Club. Can you tell us what Fight Club's all about and what experiences you had that led you to starting it? No, thank you, Matt. And you know, thank you for having us and, and for uh, and really for the Mad Scientist blog, continuing to publish our articles or ideas and stories, because I think that really helps sharpen our thinking and just kind of be creative about imagining the future um, using backcasting and, and, and science fiction. So Fight Club, I mean, there's a number of influences. So two right off the bat, I mean, it started, some of the ideas started when we were in the Chief of Staff of the Army, General Milley Strategic Studies Group. Uh, some colleagues of mine, Colonel Neil Hollenbeck and, and Dr. Ben Jensen, they helped secure money from OSD, you know, Deputy Secretary of Defense, Bob Works, Wargaming Fund. We secured uh, some licenses from a company and some uh, modification to a game called uh, Flashpoint Campaigns with Slytherin and Matrix Games. And Dr. Ben Jensen used it with great effect at the Marine Corps University with his students. Uh, we've also been watching the U.S. Marine Corps make bold moves with wargaming to influence force design. Uh, the Commandant's pushing for big changes in the Marine Corps, and we see that as, as very inspiring. And so the British Army needs some of this. And so Aaron and I were participating in one of Slytherin and Matrix Games training conferences on Command Professional Edition. And it was then that we kind of decided in a hotel room with some other Iron Major friends of ours in the Army headquarters that we were done talking about stuff and we need to take action and do something and be purposefully disruptive with the, to use gaming to help improve our thinking. So that was the inspiration for Fight Club. Um, it wasn't, it, you know, it was pre-COVID, but the fact that we had COVID and lockdown, I think helped accelerate its growth because people had time to play games. So how effective do you think virtual and distributed training can be at preparing soldiers for real life operations? You know, what are the design strategies that your team used to ensure that this training is effective? I'll kick off with the design portion. Um, what we did was we formed a, a warrior council uh, like a board or tribal council for the governance of fight clubs. So some captains, uh, lieutenants, uh, sergeants, uh, civilians. And so the, the, in, in fight club, there's no rank or hierarchy, but we do use this, this council to help govern uh, all the different types of disparate activity in fight club. Um, but for the designing of this, the, the war games that we've had, and we had a few that we've accomplished, the engineers for the games and our, our war fighters that are our, our warrior council are working closely to design these bespoke, tailored missions with an overarching campaign of learning that is, and they spend a lot of time making it as, as realistic 
with the right order of battle for the British Army units and, and against really realistic um, scenarios. They even created, you know, video, high-quality videos that people can really get into the scenario. I mean, just because the game Combat Shock Force is in Syria, we, one of the scenarios is in Syria, and they made videos showing ISIS and, and, and I mean, even with tanks moving, maneuvering around and, and, and get people really into it so that, you know, it's a transformational experience participating in these war games. So I'll pause there and let Aaron talk to the, the training aspect. Yeah, so um, thanks very much, uh, Arnell, and, and thanks very much to the, the team over in uh, Mad Scientist and Dreadock for giving us this platform to discuss this. Um, so initially, um, what we've seen um, is some very keen uptake amongst the sort of field, British Field Army component of our organization, both in um, the, the reserves over here work slightly differently from, from what they do in the United States, just by the nature of how our, our country works, clearly. Um, and they are a, a national force as opposed to a state-owned National Guard force, um, which you may see in some of the, you know, in the United States. But what we've had is a very balanced approach with some light cavalry units in the reserves, the, the Scottish and North Irish Yeomanry, using uh, VBS3, which is one of the, the games that we have offered through Fight Club to conduct uh, collective training. And they, they use the platform, uh, which Arnell has mentioned, has been uh, extremely successful in providing an accurate depiction of what the battle space, the contemporary battle space might look like to really sharpen their tactical decision-making processes. Um, and it has allowed them through uh, a distributed fashion, which has been the requirement for which has been highlighted quite um, sharply under the current uh, COVID-19 conditions. Uh, it's allowed them a real opportunity to drive forward um, in what would be effectively an extremely expensive real life training scenario to replicate. And we just simply don't have the resources, real estate or the capacity to deliver that type of training with the frequency that this virtual platform allows them to do. Um, and not to mention, obviously, that it is distributed as well. So it helps reserves, particularly because a lot of those guys and girls are distributed across a wide geographic area with day jobs and other commitments. And this allows them to, under their own steam and in a manner that fits in with their current lifestyle, to really develop and hone their own skills that they maybe otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity to do. We've also had um, regular light infantry units um, really grasp this opportunity very early on as well in learning lessons as well as sharpening the mindset of particularly the junior commanders, integrating fires and understanding the impact of their weapon systems when they bring them to bear on a uh, very intelligent uh, enemy opposition force. You expertly explained uh, you know, the positives of, of the Fight Club style training here. Can you tell us how does this style differ from the traditional styles of training in terms of preparing leaders out there? So in, in training, in traditional training, you, know, you go to something like GRTC or NTC, and you don't want to go there and fail. And you know, no one wants to fail in training. So in Fight Club, you're going to fail. I mean, they some of these scenarios that our guys have made are very hard. I mean, I, I remember the first mission, I lost like eight jackals. I was like, holy cow. So I had to redo it again over and over again. And that's, and that's our mantra is think, fight, learn, repeat. And I think the difference is that in Fight Club, we're pushing ourselves really hard in these games. And, uh, you know, fighting other thinking humans is hard, but we're providing a, a safe-to-fail environment, getting loads of reps and sets in for people to just continue to learn. And they're doing it on their personal computer. And so the good thing about when we got our seed money to start this, this idea 
um, we were able to, to, you know, have them install it on their personal computers. So they, it goes with them. I mean, so they have the games and they can play it as often as they want, wherever they want. And I think that makes a big difference. So, you know, absent of war or the final audit of battle and the crucible of combat, you know, we're using these game simulations to stress our ideas and really discover new ways of fighting differently. So I think that that's where it's making a, di a big difference. What we are doing here, uh, and forgive me if I'm jumping the gun somewhat, was that there, there already exists a thirst for this type of platform usage among particularly our younger members of our uh, respective institutions. But through a very precise and realistic simulated training environment, we can tap into that demand in the market and really harness the energy that already exists among those younger members of our institution, not exclusively younger, but mostly, to help us optimize our training and deliver a professional military education output that maybe we wouldn't have been able to fully capitalize on. Yeah, I think I think there's two two very important important parts there of of the answers you both just gave. Um, you're identifying folks you already have who have a specific skill set, and you're giving them an outlet to explore that skill set. And to what Arnell said, you're allowing them to fail early and often so you can work those things out and you can learn from your mistakes. I think those are two very important parts when it comes to uh, learning and developing leaders. The other thing is that you don't want to wait until you go to GRTC to start doing some of this stuff or your main training events. So I, this gives us the ability to do it more often at home, distributed. And I think that's the key thing is that we want to make you know, war game more often. Right. That's exactly right. It's, it's failing in a safe environment. So you also do some work on human AI, psychological engagement and teaming. How can AI be integrated into wargaming and training exercises to prepare soldiers for a more technologically integrated future? That's a great question. So there, there's two parts to this. And um, as you saw from the article and what we've been writing with mad scientists, the, and it's helped us actually get this out there just by writing and publishing with you guys, everyone's reading your, your posts and it connects us with uh, different industry partners, and even Hollywood now. Um, so the first part is the, the human AI psychological engagement you just mentioned. Um, one of the things we're about to do is we have a prototype approved by the British Army to do this human domain matrix to improve our cross-cultural communications engagement with indigenous populaces. And so we're combining the science of the human domain that we've been writing about within, you know, from the Mad Scientist articles we've been writing um, with, we found uh, some interested parties in Hollywood this company, Crisis Cast, we're combining them with our, our special forces and civil affairs and psychological operations, education, training with Valkamir. And together, these two things are going to create this virtual reality, augmented reality experience, something that has not been done yet. So we're going to prototype this new way of um, conducting engagements, reps and sets in a virtual environment with indigenous forces or, or partners or civilians and to test things out. And so we were writing about things like lie detection using, as you know, you guys have had August Cole and Peter Singer on here in, in their book. We see that help Th those technologies, the, the people from Hollywood, we have the same technical leads that are working on Star Wars Mandalorian that are on this project. I mean, it's really exciting. So those folks are, are going to really push the envelope on what we can do with virtual reality and the gaming engine, the Unity and Unreal gaming engines. Um, so that's what that's one part of it. And then the second part, you know, in terms of uh, integrating AI, you know, we're all trying to figure this out together. One of our goals is unapologetically ambitious. I mean, we want to take, you know, our lessons learned that are hard to mine sometimes in these databases. We want to make that a neural network of recommendation engine algorithms that'll allow us to cull tactics, stratagems, and, and insights that can be generated from all our different games so that you know, if you're looking, you know, if you type in the right meta tags, it'll surface up a video that we have done on a post uh, exercise report or PXR is what we call them over here. And you'll be able to find those real easily and you can learn it from your, you can watch it on your phone. So if you watch our kids right now, my teenagers are learning how to play games 
by watching YouTube videos of people talk about Minecraft or what have you. And there's no reason why we can't do that and learn from each other so that we can just get really better at warfighting across all dimensions. And we really do believe that you can have an AI personal enabled assistant here in the near future. I mean, all the technology is present right now. It's just putting them all together. So I, I think that was really insightful into what we think about, you know, integrating soldiers in the future. But I kind of honed in on one thing, which is really what you're telling me is everything is going to be like the Mandalorian in the future. So that that's going to be good. For us. <laughs> but kind of in that same vein, you know, you, you've really brought to light some of the innovative design and thinking when it comes to gamification. And, and what, that's what we've talked about a lot. What does gamification look like? So what do you think that portends in the future? What What is the future of professional military education? That's great. I mean, so for gamification, the idea of gamification and bringing that into your institution and, and organizations, I think we need to do more of it, obviously. And I think FICO can help. And so what could it look like? We were just talking to the, the guys, the commander of the field army, his staff, and, and even the, the chief of the general staff, the four-star here, the head of the British army. And they want it to be so competitive that we have leaderboards and we say there's a, you know, a tactical problem or even a strategic level type problem. And we just put leaders against each other. We put everyone against each other and say, hey, get on the leaderboard and you can see who's scoring what. And just to do that, just to help improve us so that, you know, everyone's so competitive that it'll just, it'll just push the level of gaming higher across the enterprise. Whether it's solving uh, the challenges of a pandemic or, you know, or combat fighting, it's the, the sky's the limit with what we can probably gamify. And you can make it more, it just, we just want to have fun. I mean, that's the key thing is that this is not, we don't want to make it a boring club. We want it to be, you know, fight club. This should be an exciting thing or something that's going to inspire action and people get involved. And so that the game, the, the idea of gamification, it is something that we need to think more thoroughly about and how we can kind of in, inculcate gaming into many aspects of what we're doing within the institution so that people have fun while doing work and, and we get better at improving efficiencies and the effectiveness of our programs. I think that could be extremely impactful. Kind of pivoting a little bit, the fight club approach is so unique and gamification is not entirely new to the, to the army and the larger DOD as we've seen you know America's army and games like that but you know there's there's a lot that's very different about that in how you interact you know it's kind of ambiguous to to leadership and rank and so what are we missing what are we missing about the future of this training what are the army and DOD not paying enough attention to I mean, obviously, one of the things that helped us inspire Fight Club is that we just, we don't think we war game often enough. And we, we don't think that war games should be a major big contracts with lots of people. They don't, they don't always have to be these enormous things. Um, they can be smaller. They can be, you know, they can be all shapes and sizes. And we want to do it more often. And so what we're missing, I think, and, you know, my boss here, my new boss here at the Allied Rapid Reaction Corps, General Van, Matt Van Wagenen, and he's been pushing us to think harder about you know, these networks of sensors and shooters. How do we make them, you know, more rapid and with our partners to increase interoperability and find gaps and seams because we want to win and fight together. And so I think it's really important. And we think the games that we play more often with our partners and allies can help us identify these gaps and show us what we need to work on or invest in. It can eliminate these things rather rapidly. I think it's important, though, to highlight what, what the likely demands on our respective institutions will be, and therefore what corresponding demands will that place on our respective PME apparatus. Um, and I think that the emerging context within which our organizations will likely be very information-dense, highly connected, and perhaps moving at a pace within which windows of opportunity will become increasingly narrow and fleeting, um, so the demand that I envisage that potentially having on PME within our, our ranks would be that, that we need to really tap into the potential that exists 
um, in some of our um, younger people uh, looking forward into the future, but also those of us who currently wear uniform now, to really understand and be able to almost instinctually use the technology platforms available to accelerate, as uh, Arnell said, uh, kill chains in a networked fashion and perhaps even using artificial intelligence to assist in decision making in order to help do that, to keep us as competitive as we possibly can moving forward into the future decades. That was really insightful, Aaron, as well. And, you know, kind of pivoting a little bit, but this is one of my favorite questions, and this is for both of you. Talking to potential officers, leaders in the future, so you're talking to kids that are in high school, middle school, elementary school right now that are going to be the future of the Army for all, all our allies. What advice do you give them? Why, why would they want to be in this military in the future? That is a fantastic question. Um, and within Fight Club, we already have these younger cadets that are I mean, the same age as my kids, like 15 years old and 16 year olds joining. But I guess I'll start with this is that in the military, you know, we kind of get accused of not being innovative enough and we need to get, we get a bad rap for, you know, not being innovative. And I think that that's changing. You know, a lot of our senior leaders right now, just they've they allowed us to breathe you know, innovation to this, pro- to this project. And I think there's a there's an appetite for us to be purposefully disruptive. If and so what I would say these the youth and these generations that are younger, they're very keen on gaming. A lot of the gaming is just you know it's proliferated. And so this market for gaming and the games that they're playing, it's not all bad. I mean I remember a project when I was at the Chief Studies Group. We went to visit IARPA and they studied in a in a unclass uh, project. They studied war game and people gaming and how and how it's the hand eye coordination and what it's doing to people's minds. And what it found it is that they found that you know, it's sharpening these these kids' minds to be better problem solvers and to, to really improve their mental agility. So I think with the you know bring it bring your game skills. We can use them to solve the problems that we're face our nations are facing, whether in the U.S. or the U.K. Um, like whether it's pandemics like we're experiencing right now, or other types of humanitarian challenges, or even war fighting. So I think there's a space for us to innovate you know, using these games to just do you know, amazing things. And we're seeing some of that already. I mean, we're seeing that with these, these younger officers and, and NCOs or uh, sergeants that are, are taking the games that we give them, and they're really just doing some really creative stuff. We're getting surprised on the regular. Yeah, so if I could just offer one thing, um, there, there is a um, British academic who now teaches, I believe, at Harvard, and he's, he's very prolific in his writing. He talks about the differences between hierarchies versus networks. Um, I think that um, our future generations really need to be able to use in a, a, as I said previously about technology, in an almost second nature like fashion, the sort of inherent talent and power that exists within networks, be those virtual networks or human networks. Um, And I think that really we, we need to embrace that, particularly when it comes to problem solving and the ability to use those networks to leverage best advantage. No, I, th- I think that's incredible insights about what that means for our future. And that's that's who we have to think about all the time for our podcast, actually. So kind of pivoting now again to what we call our rapid fire questions, but we ask these for every guest. What technology or trend keeps you up at night? So uh, for, from my perspective, uh, with the, the convergence of all the sort of technologies that we've discussed, also including um, the emergence of hypersonic weapons platforms, um, and in the context of a re-emerging great power competition uh, context, I mentioned earlier on that you know decision windows are becoming more fleeting and narrow. I think that with all of those things trending now at a strategic and grand strategic level, will become more narrow than what they perhaps ever have done. Uh, and therefore, with the great competition, great power competition in mind, there is higher potential for friction. And therefore, for me, the, the increase in ubiquity of nuclear capabilities 
um, that for that reason, uh, nuclear weapons still concern me moving forward. I think we have uh, lost sight somewhat of the gravitas with which they they have in the battle space. What worries me is probably the confluence of, uh, as a soldier, it's the confluence of different technologies on the ground where, with the amount of sensors we have. So edge computing and AI are going to accelerate you know, the speed of the battlefield and, and violence of action with integrating different autonomous systems. And and I think that we need to read a recent book by Christian Bros, which I like, The, the Kill Chains. And um, I think he's absolutely right that we, we need to, it may not be the exquisite in few, and it might be the more and many and how we do you know, human-machine collaborations to ensure that we're operating at a better, at a faster speed to close and, and accelerate our, our, our kill chains. So our last two questions here are ones that I personally like because they give us a good insight into who our guests are. Um, so to both of you, what's something about you that most people might not know? So um, as I mentioned before we formally started the interview, I had the luxury to and pleasure to spend some time over at the War College in uh, Pennsylvania. And I um, developed an unhealthy addiction to Buffalo Wild Wings that I can no longer fulfill now that I'm back in the UK. That just means I'm going to have to come back across the States sooner rather than later. And hopefully conditions will allow that. Yeah, for me, I think I'm, I'm a Filipino-American. So one thing about me is that I really enjoy karaoke, and especially when drinking. In my, in my mind, it's awesome and we're really great. But, you know, as I get reminded of my kids, they're like, please stop. But uh, I do enjoy some karaoke. I guess it might be the Filipino me, but... Karaoke drinking and buffalo wings. This is this is a good group. <laughs> okay, and finally, the last question that we like to ask here, um, and we'll start with Aaron again. What is your favorite movie? So my my favorite film um, would have to be Inception. I love its depth, um, and I love how the multiple story arcs overlap. Plus, it's got action, it's got great costumes, and it's got Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, so... So my favorite movie is uh, Starship Troopers, you know, and like most people say, it's not like the, you know, it's, it might not do the book justice, but I still like the movie and the book and, you know, it has a lot of lessons for even still relevant to today. Those are two diverging answers there. One, one hard drama sci-fi <laughs> and the other a big uh, explosive satire kind of a sci-fi, but very interesting nonetheless. So that rounds out the questions that we had, but um, so tell our listeners um, and our audience, where, where can they follow you? Where can they follow updates on, on Fight Club and, and how can they stay in touch with what's going on with you guys? Yeah, the main thing we have for social media so far is uh, Twitter, which is pretty strong. And it, UK Fight Club 1 is our handle. So we appreciate people follow us on there and, and boost up our, our numbers. And I guess we should remind everyone that we've only been at this for three months. And so what we've accomplished in this short three months is I think is rather incredible for the small group. And it's grown rather rapidly with even people from the head of government, you know, in the Ministry of Defense, senior leaders there, the policy advisor for the Secretary of State for Defense and even the Secretary of State for Defense, our SECDEF equivalent, are keen to, to participate in Fight Club, which I think is rather awesome. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate both of you um, recording this with us. I know it's it's tough to do uh, based on your locations and getting the timings right and getting the network bandwidth and everything. So we're extremely grateful that you were able to do it. And so uh, thank you both for coming on the show here, Colonel Arnold David and Major Aaron Moore. It's been a real pleasure. Now, thank you so much. Uh, this is fun. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guests, Lieutenant Colonel Arnell David of the U.S. Army and Major Aaron Moore of the British Army co-founders of UK Fight Club. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter, at ArmyMadSci, and don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil.